So uh, it's really wonderful being with you all this morning. Um, yeah, my name is Mike, and I um, come all the way from Wellington. Where is that? It's just about 45 minutes away. And um, yeah, I'm involved currently. Um, I'm married. Uh, I have a wife of 25 years. Uh, I've got three children, and my oldest daughter, uh, some of you know her, Michaela, she's 22, living here in the area, part of Josh Jane in Milnerton. Um, and I've got another daughter in Bloemfontein who is studying up there. Why Bloom, you ask? I also wonder that question. And uh, she's studying up in Bloemfontein. She's 20. And I've got a son who's 15 and uh, lives at home with us still, hopefully. Um, and so, yeah. And so I've um, also been an elder in Josh Jane. I'm involved in a program called TMT, which is a discipleship program as part of Josh Jane. And uh, I lead that out in Wellington. Uh, as well as I, was, I had the privilege to lead the Wellington congregation. Before that, we were in Edgemead, and uh, we were involved in the Edgemead congregation leading that. And before that, we were in Oatsorn, where we had planted a church in Oatsorn out of Josh Jane in 2004. Uh, and we led that, uh, planted that, led that for about six years, and actually handed over to Cliff and Kegwin. Uh, then they had, they, then that, that got transitioned into Josh Jane. And before that, we were here in Sunningdale, uh, before that, we were in the, the Labyrinth for Nickack Hall, which is where Josh Jane used to meet. And before that, we were in the Surf Lifesaving Club in Big Bay, which is that building's not around anymore like it was. And so, yeah, I've had the privilege to be serving. Um, and then before that, Andrew's house. I think I only went once or twice. So I came about two months, two months after Josh Jane started in 99. And before that, I'm from Port Elizabeth. Uh, we actually, I knew Andrew back in PE, and before that, I, I was born at a very young age in the Seychelles, uh, and that's where I'm from. Um, so, <laughs> so, I'm, <laughs> so I'm sharing with you just, um, it's been a great privilege just to journey and see what the Lord has done. You know, we are, as a church, we're only one vegetable in the pot. The kingdom of God is bigger than, than us. But um, it's really a joy to be journeying together with, with the spiritual family that there is an inheritance. And, and if you're part of us, thank God. Uh, our aim is to glorify Jesus and to build healthy church. And so it really is a joy being with you this morning. Um, and so I want to start off by sharing, actually. I know Dan last week preached on prayer. And this morning I felt to preach on the Word of God, uh, on the Bible, on Scripture. And I want to speak about how the Bible helps us to become wise how the Bible helps us to be wise. And so our relationship, not only, uh, as I'm going to weave it into our relationship with Jesus, but our relationship with this book is very, very, very important. In fact, it's God's means to grow us up into maturity in the Lord. Um, it's the way we come into the kingdom through knowing God through His Word, and it's the way, obviously, through the Spirit, and it's the way we grow up into God. And I'm not sure what your relationship is like with the Bible, with the Word of God. But I want to provoke you this morning. And if you are here and you're comfortable, I trust that you would be provoked and be disturbed. I want to disturb you. For those that are maybe feeling a bit disturbed, I want to comfort you. All right? So either way, we, we built up and encouraged in the Lord. And what I want to do is just uh, stick, uh, I want to look at a portion of Scripture, and I really want to look at that in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 15, where um, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, and I'd like us to read these two verses, and really just want to unpack what it means, how the Bible helps us to be wise. And uh, let's read it. But as for you, saying to Timothy, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here he says, and I want us just to start by saying, firstly, as I, I'll unpack this now, but you know, he speaks about the sacred writings. For us, we believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Both are given as gifts from God uh, to build our lives. But you know, I find our relationship with the Bible, with these sacred writings, is often superstitious. I meet many Christians that are actually, they have a superstitious relationship with the Word of God. And uh, what I mean by that, and I'm going to share a story with you, and it's a bit extreme, true story. Um, but, you know, for example, I know some of us are like, oh, yes, we have to read the Word of God. Amen. Uh, you know, the script, a scripture a day will keep the devil away. You know, and, and like, oh, don't put the Bible on the floor because it's holy. Um, and what we do is sometimes we make the book itself um, so set apart that we forget that actually the point of Scripture is actually the message of the Word of God. So while every word is breathed out by God and is from God, but it's not the pages that are holy. It is the sacred writings are the actual writings. The content is what makes the Word of God come alive to us by the Spirit. And there's a story of this guy, King Menelik II, who was the emperor of Ethiopia about 100 years ago, and he believed that he had great faith in the Bible. And this man, he, uh, whenever he felt sick, because he, took the, he believed that literally the Bible will make you well, he would, if he was ill, this is true, he ripped a few pages from the holy book and he ate them. He would eat, he would eat pages from the scripture. This was his regular practice and it never seemed to harm him. He was recovering from a stroke in December 1913 when he began to feel particularly sick. And he asked for an aid to tear out the complete book of one and two kings. And feed them to him page by page. He died, unfortunately, before he could eat both books. <laughs> so how do we come to the Bible? How do we approach the Word of God? You know, that, that is an extreme example of someone who, 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 who had a superstitious view of the Scriptures. They are sacred, but it's not the actual pages that are sacred. It's the, the content that is written inside them, every word that comes from God. And, uh, and how do we relate to it? And so this morning, I want to dive into that by looking at that scripture in 2 Timothy 3. And let's, let's start with the first one. The first way that we learn God's truth, and we learn actually to have a relationship with the Bible through scripture, uh, and I want us to look at verse 14. Look at what Paul says here. It's very interesting. He says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learnt it. And it's quite interesting, you know. Um, I'm going to start with this because one of the ways that God disciples us through the Scriptures is through real people. Is when you have a relationship with the Scriptures and the Bible and truth, is that it's not just you and God and me and the Bible. It's not you on your own. It's actually us together as a community of faith. And he says here that it's not just that you continue to believe, but you know in whom that you've believed it from. So let me give an example of sushi. Now, I enjoy eating sushi, but um, would, you, know, you would normally eat sushi from a restaurant or a place that's reputable for the sushi, right? And you would trust that restaurant because it's reputable, it's got a track record. Would any of you eat sushi and you've got some random stranger who knocks at your door with a plate of sushi and say to you, oh, I've just you know, popped up, I felt 
to come to you, and here I made some sushi for you, here we go. And this person you don't know, how would you, how would you react to that? I would say, no, thank you. The sushi looks very nice, but I don't know from whom it's come. And while well, Scripture itself, of course, is the Word of God, but what makes us grow in truth in the Word of God is that God does give us His Word and those whom reflect and model the Scriptures to us. And, and so I want to ask you that one of the ways that we have a relationship with the Bible is actually in a family of faith. It's interesting how he does it. He says, you've learned this in a family of faith. And the way that I've grown as a Christian is that the, the Bible came alive to me through brothers and sisters in the Lord that embodied truth. And ultimately, when they taught the Word of God, because I knew them and I knew their life, I knew that they loved the Lord, not perfectly, but they had a heart to serve Him, and I knew that they were men and women of character, that I was able to receive and grow in the Word of God because I know from whom I'd learned it. And you know, that's the beauty of being part of a spiritual family. It's quite sad when so many Christians snack on God TV or TBN, and that's their diet. I want to say, you don't know those men. Now, maybe some of them are reputable, but we have a family of faith, and God has designed that we are discipled through the Word of God, through men who've been called by God, appointed, uh, and trustworthy to share with us. You know, we live in an age of what's called the infopocalypse. I heard that phrase recently through a podcast. And the infopocalypse is this glut of information that has been given to us. And it's so hard to discern because we're in an age where we don't always know between true and false. We don't always know. And, um, you know, we speak about fake news. Do we know? But God has given us godly men, elders in the house, that can be faithful to unpack the Word of God and we can do it. So that's one thing I want to say to you, firstly, is just as a interesting, it's just interesting the way he, he writes that, and we must pay attention to the way that he's done that. Let's move on. Um, then it says that this, these scriptures, these holy scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation. That's the next thing that he says there. What does it mean that the scriptures make you wise for salvation? So firstly, the question is, well, what does it mean to be wise? What is wisdom? And biblical wisdom, there's two kinds of biblical wisdom I'll look at now, but wisdom is the ability to make good choices, is to make a good choice. And definitely in the Bible, you had two books of wisdom, or two types of wisdom in Scripture. Obviously, the most famous wisdom book in the Old Testament is what? The book of Proverbs, God's Twitter feed, as someone once said. Um, and especially when it comes to worldly things, and, uh, you know, and so wise to salvation. And when we read, and I want to encourage you firstly to go back, and when we read Scripture, read the wisdom books. The first kind of wisdom book is Proverbs, as I mentioned, and this is often very basic wisdom. It's the ability that if God has called us to flourish in this life and the next, and the way we do so is sometimes by just read through the book of Proverbs. And as you read it, as you read, you know, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, if you read a chapter a day, that's one chapter every day for a month. And uh, what do they say? Proverbs a day keeps the devil away. Okay, no, I just made that up. I don't think that's, that's true. And, um, you know, and God, God's word to us is when we read Proverbs, we see that the emphasis of the character of God and what God is like, when we read that in Proverbs, that God is not interested to make us worldly wise. It's not a kind of wisdom that says, well, I want you to be happy and successful and make lots of money on this earth, and that's the goal of your life. When you read the book of Proverbs, you see a kind of wisdom 
that leads to fearing God and honoring Him and loving others. Uh, and I want to encourage you to read it. That's one kind of wisdom. Um, and it's a very kind of, yeah, it's a very much a common sense wisdom. Another kind of wisdom that we find in the Bible is a, what we call philosophical wisdom. And philosophical wisdom are books like Ecclesiastes and Job. Um, if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that the author, he starts off by saying, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Like, what? This is in the Bible? <laughs> and it's hard to read. I know when I read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, at, at, uh, well, Job, it messes with my thinking, and it's the kind of wisdom in the Bible that says sometimes all we know is we don't know. And you know, in God's kind of wisdom, is so high above ours, and Job and Ecclesiastes deal with the, the big themes of life, wrestling with these things of how wisdom comes, obviously in relationship with them, but it deals with suffering. And all of us have been through a measure of, uh, you know, life is hard, and God has designed in many ways life to be hard. Sometimes if we read, as we read these books, I want to encourage you to read them, you find out that in them, God does not always give you the answer. In fact, most of the time, He doesn't give you the answer for your pain and for your suffering and for your loss. But what He does do is He always promises that I might not give you the answer, but I'm going to give you power and I'm going to give you grace to go through what you are because He's more interested in shaping us. And you see that the Bible would make us wise. And, and I found over the, over the years, you know, as a young Christian, I thought I knew a lot. You know, you know it's like a little bit of truth makes you dangerous. Um, and I thought I knew enough to like, I know the Bible now, you know, and I've been saved a year. And, and I remember saying to my grandfather once, who wasn't a believer, and he's like, he's, he said to me, you know, I can never understand the Bible. It's just a strange book to me. And uh, he was being very honest. And I said, but, you know, I used to call him um, Pardick. That was his French. And I called him Pardick. Pardick, you just ask me any question and I will tell, I'll give you the answer. And I was so confident, I was cocky, I was arrogant. And I thought that I know the answers from what Scripture says is simple. And the older that I've got in the Lord, the more I've realized that actually the ways of God are mysterious. And God doesn't, the Bible is not a little answer book. The Bible leads us into relationship with the one who has the answers. But sometimes he chooses to veil them from us because he wants to shape us as men and women that are refined as through fire. That's his way. And I want to say, never approach the Bible as an answer book. Don't be like that person of, I wonder what the Bible, now it does give us certain answers and truths, of course it does. And I'm going to have a look at that just now in terms of the, why do we read the scripture and what is the aim for it? And, um, and so sometimes I want to say true wisdom is the ability to say, Lord, I don't know, but I know the one who does and I will worship you anyway. Um, read it, read it. You know, yeah, let's, let's look at the next thing. As we carry on, he says that the Bible is able to make you wise. Now, if we have that itself, I know many Christians who read Scripture and who, who read the Bible, let's say, for wisdom. They want to get information. They want to learn truth. And that's a wonderful thing. But that itself is not enough. You can, you know, study the Word of God. You can memorize it. You can be faithful to read large portions every day. And that's a good thing. It's things that we must be doing. But actually, reading the Bible to find guidance is actually not enough. That's only half the truth. And there were these religious Jews in the day of Jesus 
who knew their Bible much better than you and I. I want to look at a portion of Scripture in John 5, where these were the religious, spiritual leaders of the day, and they knew their Bibles so well. And I want, it's interesting what Jesus says to them here in John 5, 37. He says in verse 37, and he's, he's actually arguing with them. He's debating with these, um, these, these religious individuals. And by the way, these, often the Pharisees in the Bible are given a very bad rap. They're given a very bad, you know, like, ooh, the Pharisees. You know, like we, we imagine them to be these, these dawa with these, you know, if you've watched The Chosen, I suppose, they're like these, I've, I've only watched two episodes ever, so, but what I've seen, you know, it's like these bad guys, and, they, and they're really bitter, and, they, and they, they're proudful, but not all of them were like that. The Pharisees and the religious leaders in Israel had a deep love for truth. They loved the Bible, and they were so keen to protect the Bible because they didn't want to go back into captivity like the old Jews that had disobeyed the Word of God, and God judged them after hundreds of years, and He sent them into captivity out of the land of Israel. And they didn't want to go back there. They didn't want to disobey God. They didn't want to disobey His Word. So what they did is they built a a wall around the Word of God. And those walls were extra rules and regulations so that to make sure that they wouldn't disobey the Word. And they would have these petty rules over and above Scripture. For example, the Bible says uh, to the Jews that you should obey the Sabbath. It is a day holy to the Lord, and you should keep it. And, um, and it's a wonderful principle in Scripture, but they obviously they were under the law, they kept it, but they were so scared of breaking the Sabbath that they would interpret with these laws. For example, if you walked more than a certain amount of kilometers a day, you weren't allowed to do that because then you'd be breaking the Sabbath because you'd be working if you were sweating. Uh, they believed that if you farmed on the Sabbath, and that's probably fair, as a farmer, you shouldn't be working. And they believed, they took it so far that they said, even, this is true, that if you spit on the Sabbath and your spit moves the soil, then that you've sinned against God because you're farming. Because your spit moves the soil and potentially you, you just, you, you're now far. <laughs> this is true. So they created, but their heart was in the right place. And I want you, their heart was to be zealous for the things of God. They weren't always, they they, they really were zealous for God. And look what Jesus says to them here. It's interesting. Let's read it in John 5, 37. He says, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. And he says, now he, he actually judges them, he indicts them. He says, his voice you have never heard. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus coming to, to you and you've been a faithful churchgoer your whole life. And you've tried to do what's right. You've tried to be obedient. You've tried to be faithful. You've tried to be in the tradition where you've grown up in. And Jesus said to me, says to you, his voice, you've never heard his voice. Then he says to them again, his form, you have never seen. And then he says to them, you do not have his word abiding in you. And they're like, what? But we have studied the Word of God. They were a culture that memorized Scripture from young. They knew, the Word of God was in them. In fact, they even had it on their foreheads and on their, you know, their, their clothing. They actually literally had the Bible in kind of these phylacteries on the top of their head. What do you mean we don't have the Word of God? Can't you see? 
They would have it in their home. They would write it out. They were serious about God's word. But look what Jesus says. He says this, but you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So their problem was not that they, they, they didn't hold the Bible as, as sacred and holy. Their problem was that they did not have faith in the one that whom the Bible speaks about. Let's carry on. He says this in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the very scriptures, that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so this was the problem, is that in their zeal to want to take the Bible, they ended up reading the Bible and studying the Bible and having a relationship with the Bible to its own end. And they rejected the author of the the Word of God. They ended up rejecting the author and the one in whom the Bible speaks about. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. That from Genesis to Revelation, it points to Him, saying, trust Him, love Him, obey Him. He is the Messiah. He is the true King. And He comes to rule over the nations. And that the Bible points to him, saying that if you want eternal life, it comes through putting him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's the message of the Bible. It's about Christ. By the way, the message of the Bible is not about you. You know, it's about him. And, um, and so we see that. It's like um, trying to find life. And I want to say, you know, that the problem with, these, with us, we, we have to be careful of, is that um, and this is um, often in our culture, especially certain types of cultures. I know I, I, I've pastored churches in Afrikaans cultures, and I find in the Afrikaans culture, there's a very high regard for the Word of God, but it's a very religious way. It's a bit like the Pharisees in a way where, you know, we've got the Ten Commandments, and we've got it in our classroom. And, you know, the children are taught, and, and maybe you've got scriptures on the fridge. And, yeah, it's not a bad thing. But the problem is, underneath that, there's, there's no humble faith in Jesus. It's about learning knowledge and learning principles. And if we come to the Bible wanting to learn principles, we've missed the point of the Scriptures. The point of the Scriptures, my friends, is to go to the person of Jesus and to learn and to meet God and see what He is like. And along with that, to learn His ways through what He says and, uh, and the problem with these Pharisees is underneath all their knowledge and study was pride and independence. Basically saying, we're going to use this, and we are going to basically try and build our lives to show how great we are. And so he judges them, and he says, no, that's not the point at all of why we to do this. We don't just read it for the sake of reading it. Let's look, go back to 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And 2 Timothy 3, 15, look at what he says here. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. And here's the key. What? What does it say? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. So the wisdom comes. If you want to truly be wise in this life, it comes by, by coming to the Scriptures but coming through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the Bible comes alive to us when we're in right relationship with Christ. 
When we submit to Him and we love Him and we obey Him, the Word of God opens up to us and God gives us the wisdom that we need to make good decisions here and now and to live well for Him in this world. You know, and so faith in Jesus, in many ways, it's the key for everything, faith in Jesus. Um, And it's something that's actually taken me a long time to learn, that when I come to the Bible, I come to say, Lord, help me to see what you are like in your word. One question I actually ask myself when I read through Scripture, and here's like a practical tip that I can give you when it comes to reading the Bible, is to ask yourself this question when reading Scripture. It's this one question. How does this text show to me the character of God? That's a very good question. Especially when you're reading the Bible devotionally, you ask yourself that question. Like you're reading anything in the portion of Scripture. How does this piece of Scripture show me the character of God? How does it show me what God is like? And when you, when you ask yourself that question to know the author, to meet him, to want to obey him, you find that the word of God comes alive to you. It's not the only way we read, but it's a very important thing. And I want to share just a personal story to you. You know, in January, um, I was on holiday, I took leave, and I was struggling with a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. Um, I was in a place where I was, um, yeah, just troubled over the state of the country. Um, I know like many of you, you know, the Prince of Darkness, aka ESCOM, (coughs) is reigning over the land. (laughs) And I've been deeply troubled. I've been in myself just struggling, really, with just reading the news. It's depressing. I've been struggling. Like, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling to find joy and faith. I'm just, I'm just in a place where, like, I can't find faith. And I've been reading Scripture. And, and I've just, and anyway, and during the holidays, while I was wrestling through this and just feeling the sense of, like, a bit of hopelessness in our land, um, I came, I've been reading through the book of Isaiah in the holidays, and that morning's readings was Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I just want to turn there and read it to you, because I want to show you something of the way the Lord just encouraged me, just how, and I was coming to Jesus saying, Lord Jesus, please, I, I'm reading your word, I want to be faithful to read it, because I know that in your word is, is, you reveal primarily what you're like. Father, this morning I'm coming to you, I, and I was just just coming like I normally do. And I read this in Isaiah chapter 6, and it says this, that in the year the king Uzziah died, this is the young prophet Isaiah speaking, a young man, and, and in his, this year King Uzziah died, he was in a place where there was a lot of turmoil in the country of Israel, or in the nation, actually in Judah, in the, uh, uh, no, yeah, in Judah in the south. And this King Uzziah had been a king for 50 years. He had been um, stable on the whole. He had led the the nation faithfully. He had obeyed God and feared God. He was one of the few godly kings out of many kings that were ungodly. But towards the end of his life, he began to harden his heart and rebel against God. And actually, God struck him down with leprosy. And he died, uh, after about 50 years reigning in, in the nation, he died in shame and humiliation because he had rebelled from God, and pride had crept into his heart. And at that time, where Israel was prosperous and doing well, suddenly they began to lurch, there was a lack of leadership, and there was the rise around them of other nations that began to threaten them, uh, you know, with like war. There were the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and, and, um, and they began to threaten them to, to invade their land, and there was this power struggle. And I love this, it says that in the year that he died, you can imagine this turmoil, And this is the part, he says, 
I saw the Lord seated on a throne. And when I read that, it was like just, the Lord said, Mike, what is the nature and the character of God like? I'm a God that is ruling, and I'm a God that is in control. I'm a God that rules over the mess and the, 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 the difficulty, the sin, the corruption, the evil, the abuse, you name it. I am over that. I am the Lord who's seated on a throne. And you know, if we, and it settled my heart, and I was like, Lord, please forgive me of my unbelief. That I, I've, I've, such had a, I've had such a big view of man that I've lost sight of the bigness of God and the greatness of God. And I, I had to repent, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not trusting you, that you promised to work things out for the good of those who love you. And, you know, I had to come to Scripture to be humbled. And sometimes we try and find our way. We have prayer and the Word. We have both. That is a foundation for our lives when we come to Jesus. And the problem with our world, my friends, the problem with our world today is we have great thoughts of man, great thoughts of people. We are very self-centered humanistic. But when we come to the Bible, we get to see great thoughts about God. We get to have our thoughts about ourselves and our country and, and the nations and these great men and women who puff themselves up and try and that, God says, them, they're like dust in my hands. I am the Lord your God and I'm seated on a throne. I'm Yahweh. I'm the, I am who I am. I'm the self-existent one. I'm the Lord who, who, who uses those things to bring the nations in obedience to bow their knee to me. You know, God is not interested always, and in, He wants us to prosper, but sometimes not in the way we expect. It's often through suffering and through trial and through difficulty. And, and reading this is like, my friends, how do you see God? You know, God is not just a lover. He is, thank God, but He's so much more than that. He's holy, and you know, it carries on, and it says this. It, it speaks about these creatures around the throne, and they're singing, holy, 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 and these creatures are called the seraphim. Quite interesting. They the they're called they the literally the word seraphim means burning ones, and they're these creatures, these angelic beings of such power and grace and majesty that these these creatures are circling around the throne. And it says that they've got wings, these wings that are flapping. It's interesting. It says they've got these wings with each had six wings, and with two of the wings he, they covered their eyes, with two they covered their 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 feet, and with two they were flapping. Like, what type of creatures are these? What kind of God is this that would make these creatures? Why would they do this? And, and I heard someone once say, and I was, as I was looking through it and, and heard one of the church fa- I read one of the church fathers saying that he thinks the reason why their wings were covering their eyes is because as they were singing about the holiness of God, that the one in whom that there is light and no darkness, pure above pure above pure, set apart unlike us in every way, uncorrupted, perfect, that they could not, even though that these were the burning angelic beings, they themselves could not look upon the holiness of God. Such was the majesty and the might of the Lord God that they had to say, I can't even look upon the face of God. And these are angelic beings in his presence. Not only do that, but they cover their feet. Why do they cover their feet? Well, in some ways, maybe they didn't want to make it about themselves, where they, they so much wanted to hide themselves, saying, Lord, it's not about us. You know, we're these great majestic beings, but Lord, may you get the glory. 
And in fact, they do sing later on that, that this God of glory, that, that the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And you know, when we read things like this, when we come with an attitude of faith to God, an attitude of faith to His Word, when we come under Scripture to say, Lord, help me to worship you as I read your Word. Help me to know you as I read your Word. And we read and are confronted with truth like this. My friends, the result is worship. The aim, ultimately, of reading our Bibles is not information, it's worship. It's that we could know Him and love Him and obey Him, and ultimately, we worship the one that is seated on the throne, worthy of honor and praise. And if you're not getting to your Bible enough, if you're not reading it, if you're not soaking yourself in it, you actually will have a very small view of God. And these Pharisees were reading not to worship, they were reading to puff themselves up with pride and self-righteousness, saying, look how much we know. Look how we can enforce rules and regulations. They'd miss the purpose in the heart. And I think sometimes we are so informed by our culture and what even our culture says about Jesus that we don't get to what Scripture says. You know, I, I actually fear for our generation of Christians that Christianity, the church has grown, but like we are a, while, a mile wide and an inch deep. We have all these kind of views of Jesus. Where do they come from? I mean, we've got like, I mean, I had a teacher at school. I mean, I got this, I went, we had religious education when I was in school. That was a long time ago. 1991, I matriculated. Yeah, Dan, I don't think you were born yet, bro. <laughs> you probably were. You were three. Okay, there you go. And we had a teacher at school who was, uh, she actually taught us from the Bible, and that was it, in school. She shaped our thinking, and she believed in a guru Jesus, this Jesus who was like full of love and peace, man, and he's just come like with a, a flower behind his ear, almost like a long flowing white robe, and you know, you can imagine this kind of Jesus that didn't wear sandals and went bare feet around, just peach, preaching love and peace to all mankind, Komiki Jesus. <laughs> that's brilliant. Okay. You understand that if you're from the Cape, if we traveled, in the, that's not going to make sense. It's like lentil Jesus. You know, Jesus that only eats lentils and he's a vegetarian. He's like, you know, and just like, it's about social justice and caring for the animals, man. Save the whales and hug the trees. And, you know, let's. Now, of course, we have to care for creation, but, but that's not the Jesus of the New Testament. And what she did is she taught us that the Jesus of the New Testament is different from the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament, she said to us, don't believe that God. He was, he was cranky and mean, had a bad temper. He would smite the people of God. She said, but read the New Testament because this Jesus is full of love and forgiveness and peace. Now, yes, he is. But if we carry on and we read the whole of the Scriptures... We read the whole of the New Testament, and with a heart to know Him and obey Him and love Him and worship Him, you get to see this Jesus that breaks our cultural boxes and our wrong mindsets. We get to see a Jesus that is not afraid sometimes to judge His church. If you read Revelation, you read Jude, it messes with your thinking. Thank God that we have a God that is kind and merciful and good to us. So I want to ask you, do you read the Word, read it, read it, re read reams of it, but not for the sake, but, but that through faith in Jesus, it's going to make you wise, and you're going to make good decisions, and you're going to flourish in this world, and you're going to get to know the character and the nature of God.
And so, if anything, I just want you to leave this morning with like, I want to go and read my Bible. If that's, what, if that's what you leave this morning, and I want to go and worship God even more through the Word and pray, then I've done my job. <laughs> and I want to conclude, I want to conclude with this. So as Paul writes, um, we just put that scripture up again. I, you know, we're not going to get to the next section, but he speaks about how hold to these sacred writings. Hold, and in fact, he was speaking about the Old Testament, because the New Testament was still being written by these eyewitnesses of Jesus and those who had followed and walked with Jesus. But he says, hold to it, obey it, firmly believe it, go back to it. In a world that is full of untruth and full of feelings, we do not build our faith on our feelings. We build our faith on truth. We have to go back to that again and again and again. And I want to end with the story of the power of Scripture. This, um, I've shared this in a number of places, but I don't think you would have heard this. Um, and I want to share a story with you about the very power of the Bible to change people's lives. And it's a story that um, was set in 19, uh, 1787. Uh, and it dealt with a British captain called Captain Bly that had a ship that was sailing in the Pacific Ocean with his crew, and the, the name of the ship was called The Bounty. They actually made a movie of it, very famous movie, old movie, Mutiny on the Bounty. And I want to read the story to you, and I need you to listen carefully to what, how this unfolds. In 1787, Captain Bly took the ship The Bounty on a voyage around the world to collect bread fruit trees. When he reached Tahiti in the central southern Pacific, he found a veritable paradise. Soon, every sailor had a girlfriend. There was quite a, bit of, a deal of grumbling when Bly announced that after a few months in this heaven on earth that they were leaving. Not many days out of Tahiti, Bly woke up to find himself looking down the barrel of a gun. Bly and, okay, <laughs> Bly and 18 officers were put in a small boat without maps. Fletcher Christian and eight mutineers took the ship back to Tahiti and the pretty ladies. There they convinced not eight, but 12 girls to go with them. They set off again for fear of being caught. They had no plans and finally came across Pitcairn Island. Pitcairn Island. It was another island paradise. They took much of their things as possible onto the island, and then they set fire to the ship. What looked like a paradise turned out to be 10 years of living hell. Amen. <laughs> okay, it gets even better. One of the sailors used a copper kettle to make a distillery. By the way, my twin brother and my family um, run a distillery in the Seychelles, so I can kind of relate to this. Um, we often joke like, uh, about, um, they say, my, my family joke that my brother and I are both in the spirit business. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I follow the right spirit. They drank the fire water made from the tree roots, and the men spent days, weeks, and months on end drunk by these spirits. Some of the men went mad and became like animals. They fought among themselves. One jumped off a cliff. After several years, there were only two men left, Edward Young and Alexander Smith. Young was old, ill, and asthmatic. 
One night, the women seized the guns and barricaded themselves and their 18 children off from the men. Neither the women nor the children would go near the two men. One day, Young went to the ship's chest, and at the bottom, among the papers, he found a book. It was a leather-bound, old, mildewed, and worm-eaten Bible. He had not read for years, and Smith could not read at all. So Young taught him, and the two men, frightened, disillusioned, and utter wrecks, together began to read the Bible. They started at Genesis, and they saw from the Old Testament that God was holy and that they were sinful. They did their best to pray, and the little children were the first to come back to the men. And they noticed a change in the men. Then the children brought the women, and they sat and listened to them read. But during this time, Young died. And then Smith came to the New Testament, and something important happened to him as he read the story of Jesus in the Bible. He said, I have been working like a mole for years, and suddenly it was as if the doors flew wide open, and I saw the light, and I met God in Jesus Christ, and the burden of my sin rolled away, and I found new life in Christ. Eighteen years after the mutiny on the bounty, a ship from Boston came across the island of Pitcairn, and the captain went ashore. There he found a community of people, a community of people who were godly. They had a love and peace about them that he had never seen before. And when the captain got back to the United States, he reported all, in all his travels, he had never seen or met a people who were so good, gracious, or loving. They'd been changed by the message and by the God of the Bible. Amen. My friends, if we build our lives, that is the, this is the, the passion of Josh Jen. This is the aim of what we try to do. We build, we go back to Scripture. Our, our pattern is Scripture. Our passion is the God of the Bible, and we want to build according to the ways of the Bible, not according to the ways of culture. Our aim is not to be happy. Our aim is to be holy. Our aim is to know the God of the Scriptures, not the God of our culture. And we want to co- confront and build us back to that. And I want to ask you, do you join us in that? Do you join us in being a people of the Word who are devoted to it, who love it as we love Him? Let's, let's trust for that this morning. Amen? And so I would love to pray for us as we close. And let's close our eyes and pray. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And Lord, we firstly want to come with gratitude and thanksgiving that you haven't just given us the book of nature and that we can get to know you only through nature. Lord, you've given us the book of scripture and that in your wisdom, you've chosen through men that were eyewitnesses or men, uh, prophets and those who are godly to write down words on pages that come from the very mouth of God, revelation of what you are like and how we are saved and how we can walk out the, the ways of God here on the earth. Lord, we thank you that it's objective. It's not whether we feel bad, the word is there. Whether we feel good, the word is there. When we want to meet God, we go to your word. And ultimately, your word doesn't point us to itself. Lord, your word 
points us back to the author. And this morning, we want to say before you, we love you, Lord, and we are grateful for the gift of Scripture, that every word is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, and we want to receive of that.